So I, I appreciate everyone waiting for us to get through that business meeting, but good morning, and the committee will come to order. And I want to welcome the witnesses here today, and we are here today to discuss rural veterans and how VA is ensuring that they have access to health care and benefits they've earned. It's easy to forget that many Americans and many veterans live in flyover country, and that includes me. Um, I am a rural veteran, as many members on this committee are. Uh, we understand the needs and challenges and, quite frankly, the frustration of our fellow rural veterans face because they have lived, uh, they live where they live. Um, now, my home is 30 miles from the nearest VA facility, and my constituents uh, in the eastern part of Illinois drive some of them 60 miles or more to get to a VA facility. Veterans in the other parts of the United States travel a whole lot further than that. Now, one of the witnesses we will hear from today is with the Navajo Nation, spans three states. Now, over 14,000 Native American veterans live on 27,000 square miles, and the challenges these men and women in rural America face cannot be overstated, which is why others and I have fought so hard in 2018 to get the Mission Act enacted. The Mission Act and the Community Care Provider Network have transformed VA's delivery of health care and services, especially in rural and remote parts of the country. But now, five years after the bill is signed into law by President Trump, I go home and my veterans are still saying the same thing. I can't get health care and I can't get my benefits. Whether it's a limited access to high-speed internet or so, so the veterans can't make their uh, telehealth appointments, or driving over an hour uh, for routine physical therapy, or in, in, in the inability to find housing near employment and, and, and near employment opportunities, or having the, to travel long distances to attend a disability com compensation and pension examination, rural veterans face daunting challenges. So VA must meet these men and women's needs where they live. And while VA has an entire office dedicated to serving rural and remote veterans, I am concerned that this office has not kept pace with the challenges veterans, uh, challenging veteran population. We must ensure that three, $311 million we have spent on this office and other rural veteran programs are, are providing real value and not just lip service. I look forward to the hearing from uh, our witnesses today about how we can pave the way for solutions and bridge the gaps and ensure that the best quality of life for our rural veterans. Um, I now recognize ranking member for his opening statement. Well, thank you, Chairman Bost. Rural veterans and their families have long had to navigate an altogether different healthcare experience than their suburban and urban counterparts. From hours long drives to appointments, to housing shortages, to limited access to veteran service officers, to file claims. Rural veterans experience a unique series of barriers. And these barriers are likely to harden in the coming years as hospital closures and healthcare provider shortages in rural areas persist. When the VA Mission Act was passed in 2018, it sought to address some of the healthcare challenges facing rural veterans by creating the Veterans Community Care Program. Now the goal was to better enable veterans to access care from community providers when such care wasn't readily available from VA. While necessary, it has not been the bridge to healthcare access for rural veterans that many had hoped. 
The healthcare infrastructure in rural America has proven too compromised and in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic too fragile to meet the needs of civilians and veterans. The need for a robust VA presence in rural America remains. And since, since 2005, more than 100 rural civilian hospitals have closed. According to research conducted by the North Carolina Rural Health Research Program at UNC Chapel Hill. Another 87 rural hospitals have eliminated inpatient services. And according to the Center for Healthcare Quality and Payment Reform, 600 rural hospitals, or about 30% of all rural hospitals in the country, are at risk of closing in the near future. And over half of those are deemed at immediate risk of closing. Again, we're referring here to non-VA community hospitals. One only need look to the newspaper headlines from across the country to get a sense of how serious the closures are. Veterans cannot always rely on the community to be there, but they should be able to rely on VA. We carry out this country's moral obligation to the men and women who have served in uniform in part by ensuring they have a healthcare system able to meet their needs, no matter what, no matter the state or territory they live in. There are some things that we simply cannot rely on the private sector to provide. Our postal service, for example, our national defense, our police, and fire departments. These are services private industry simply can't deliver in every place they're needed, especially as there are no, uh, there are no profit opportunities or low profit opportunities. This is becoming increasingly true of healthcare. This was most acutely highlighted during the worst of the pandemic. We saw hundreds of private healthcare systems effectively buckle or shrink under the strain of public health emergencies and natural disasters, workforce shortages, and infrastructure challenges. The Veterans Health Administration was largely able to avoid this. They delivered the highest quality care to veterans, provided world-class infection control, and delivered humanitarian care to thousands of vet uh, civilians. And they did so with a majority elderly and rural patient population, an aged infrastructure, and an overworked workforce. That in and of itself was an achievement. But they served us further by fulfilling VA's role as the backstop to the American healthcare system, aiding nearly every state and territory and dozens of tribal nations. More than 6,000 VHA employees volunteered to deploy to assist civilian or tribal health systems from March of 2020 to July of 2022. So I'm so pleased to have with us here the president of the Navajo Nation, Dr. Boo Nigren, to share with us the reality uh, rural native veterans are facing. Last September, I visited Navajo Nation and discussed with the former president the myriad of ways VA can partner with tribes and the Indian Health Service to better serve veterans. And I'm excited to continue that conversation today. Navajo Nation had extensive interaction with VHA during the worst of the pandemic. Dozens of Navajo citizens were transferred to VA hospitals and dozens of staff, particularly nurses, were deployed to IHS sites Indian Health Service sites throughout Navajo Nation, sometimes for months. This collaboration seems to have largely been successful 
and has prompted many of us to wonder how we might continue collaborations between VA tribes and the Indian Health Service. As communities continue to lose providers, often VA, tribal health programs, and the Indian Health Service are the only providers left. My staff have heard from several tribes over the years about their eagerness to explore collaboration between the two federal health systems and tribes. Ideas such as dual-use hospitals for VA and IHS, where infrastructure and staff would be shared. In situations where there is a need for care, but a workforce shortage, providing care to both federal patient populations could be the solution. Now, we must continue to provide robust support to VA in order to ensure that its workforce and infrastructure remain strong and truly accessible to veterans who need it. I also urge my colleagues to consider how we could really pursue creative solutions to rural access gaps. And I believe there are opportunities before us if we are willing to do the hard work. And with that, Mr. Chairman, I thank you and I yield back. I thank the ranking member, uh, and we will uh, now turn to our witnesses' testimony. <coughs> Testifying before us today, we have the Honorable uh, Sharif uh, El-Nahar, El uh, the, the Undersecretary of Health and Department of Veterans Affairs. We also welcome the Honorable Joshua Jacobs, the Undersecretary for Benefits for Department of Veterans Affairs, as well as uh, Mr. John uh, Brosler, um, Chief Veterans Experience experienced office of the Department of Veterans Affairs, and from the U.S. Government Accountability Office, Ms. Elisa uh, Hundrum, uh, Director of Healthcare. Uh, Dr. Endhall, you are recognized for five minutes for your opening statement. <laughs> 